Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, March the 28th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Adam Gaze speaks at the owners' meetings. I'll give you my opinions on his hour-long press availability, and it's wide receivers and tight ends day here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We dive into everything you need to know about the pass catchers for the Miami Dolphins in 2018. And was the 2013 Dolphins offseason the worst in league history? And what can that offseason teach us about 2018? But before any of all that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL and follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts. We now have a new MLB division like the Locked On Marlins podcast and the Locked On Heat podcast for all the local coverage of your South Florida teams. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins and the first topic of the day is talking about Adam Gaze's press availability he had down in Orlando talking to the Dolphins beat writers as well as some national media contingencies. I just want to kind of give you guys a brief overview of what he talked about and kind of read in between the lines there a little bit about what Coach said. For about an hour, he was available to talk to the media. So a lot of good stuff, lots of nuggets about the offense and the where the direction of this team is headed. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the first thing we always talk about, the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. He has been fully cleared to go for Team OTAs. They asked if he was going to be ready for training camp, and Adam Gaze said, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be available for OTAs and the start of spring program and getting everything going. He said he knows that Tannehill probably will give him some dirty looks every time Gaze asks him how he's feeling because Tannehill does not like talking about the injury. He hates that it hampers him, hates that he had to miss time because of it, and he's going to be rearing to go. And Adam Gaze is very, very excited about the trajectory of Ryan Tannehill's career. We talked about how he thinks that he's on the upswing or he was before the injury in 2016, kind of talking about how that injury occurred when he was standing stationary in the pocket, how he doesn't think there's going to be any limitations to Ryan Tannehill's game because of that injury. Things happen, guys deal with it, and they move on, and they just continue to go on with their careers. And he talked about it very nonchalantly about Ryan Tannehill's knee injury and how excited he is to get his quarterback back, basically saying that, you know, the national media is all down on the Dolphins right now. But for me, you know, paraphrasing Adam Gase here, He's excited because he knows what we're getting back at the quarterback position. And we're going to talk more about that later in the podcast, talking about some of the third down prowess Ryan Tannehill provided in 2016 compared to the Dolphins' futility on third down in 2017 with Jay Cutler. Other comments Adam Gase talked about, they asked about Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola a lot, replacing Jarvis Landry and Albert Wilson was the guy that he really was kind of gushing about, talking about the improvements he made from 2016 to 2017, both as a route runner. He kind of improved his route tree, became more of a guy that can do more in terms of running every position on the field. He said that he's a guy that can take a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage and take it 70 yards for a touchdown. And to me, that was a shot across the bow to Jarvis Landry, who is not going to be a big-time playmaker like that. Wilson offers the speed, and Gaze even said the word speed in his his, uh, answer to that question. So Albert Wilson offers a lot of flexibility, lots of speed, and big playability. Danny Amendola talked about just the professionalism that he has compared him to Wes Welker when when Adam Gase was back in Denver, talking about just the professionalism he brings. And then, you know, just every kind of comment he made geared towards some of the new guys that he's excited about. He thinks they have a great 
greatly improved offense with Amendola being the veteran leader that he is. Talked about Frank Gore being the veteran leader that he is and how once Damian Williams, they talked about him, talked about a new contract with him at first. They couldn't come to agreement. He went around the league and kind of came back and brought offers to Miami. And by the time he did that, the Dolphins were already on to Frank Gore and they were pretty much... Damian Williams became an afterthought for the Dolphins because they were honed in on Frank Gore and Adam Gaze liked some of the stuff that Frank Gore brings. I talked about on yesterday's podcast, his short yardage, his red zone prowess, and the things that he can do. The other backs in Miami, both Kenyon Drake and previously before Kenyon Drake with Jay Ajayi, obviously, cannot do. So excited about those improvements on the offense. He talked about the defense as well, said that he loves the defensive ends they have now and their ability to rotate new and fresh pass rushers. It goes in line with that philosophy from last year saying they want to play with leads and rush the passer and kind of recreate that Philadelphia Eagles wide nine system that he is confident in Matt Burke with running that system again this year. I know the defense wasn't great, but it was better than it was in 2016. So hopefully another step forward can help the defense get on a level where the offense I think will be personally this coming year. And then back to the offensive side of the ball, he said he was glad he doesn't have to answer the questions about guard play anymore, talking about Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore. And one of the things he mentioned was his how much he likes Ryan Tannehill's ability to kind of take information from guys that have played with great quarterbacks in the past. And he said he expects to see Tannehill out there getting tips from Josh Sitton in regards to kind of some of the things that Aaron Rodgers did as a professional and how he prepared. And that was kind of a cool comment to hear saying that Tannehill is very much a student of the game and a sponge that can soak up as much information as he possibly can from guys that have been around players that have had great success in this league at his position. So he was very thrilled about Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore. He was, you, you can tell that it affected him. They had to lose Mike Pouncey. Obviously he was a big Mike Pouncey fan himself, both as a player and in the locker room as a leader, but that didn't work out. Obviously the Dolphins had to release him because of cap, cap costs and the opportunity to go ahead and get Dan Kilgore to kind of just, you know, whether it's a lateral move or an improvement. Either way, it was a good move for the Dolphins. But you can tell it affected him that he had to lose Mike Pouncey. And then the last note, and possibly the most interesting one that I heard, was talking about how they expected more from TJ McDonald in his first year. And obviously that contract extension would tell you that they expected more because they kind of gave him a contract sight unseen when they really didn't have to. A very strange move and a bad move in addition to the Nate Allen contract they gave. So really some bad money spent last year. We know we know that drill. We know that rabbit hole. We don't have to go down it again. But he talked about kind of how McDonald didn't live up to the expectations in his last eight games that he played with the Dolphins. And I think that they kind of that kind of opens the door for safety. I think that might be higher up on the priority board than what I currently have. It. I have that as the fourth highest need behind tight end, linebacker, and defensive tackle. But I think the Dolphins might view that as a higher need going into the offseason as a guy that can kind of play more of a single high role, maybe some more big nickel, like the you know super nickel they call that guy that can come down and play uh, alongside Bobby McCain if they have four, four receiver sets and two guys in the slot. So a guy like maybe Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick seems to be sliding a little bit. I even heard D Daniel Jeremiah on the Move the Sticks podcast say that he spoke to one executive that has Alabama's, Alabama's Ronnie Harrison above Minka Fitzpatrick on his draft board. So it could be a crazy draft day. Who knows what's going to happen in that first round? But the Dolphins definitely sound like they want to get a safety to go ahead and compliment him with Rashad Jones. And then from that point, McDonald could become either the third safety, a heavy linebacker, a money linebacker, so to speak, a guy that comes down in the box and kind of plays in that position too. So lots of good nuggets from that press conference or that press availability. I saw it on Facebook. I'm not sure if it's on Twitter now or not, but I'm sure you guys can find it on any Miami Dolphins social media avenue. So you can check that out there, but also talking about some of the safeties Miami has visited with and that kind of lends more credence to the idea they might be looking to move on from McDonald or maybe relegate him more to a backup role. He has a low cap hit and a, and a contract for that would not kill the Dolphins to move on from. It's cash spent, but either way, you're not going to lose too much and lose 
losing him. So the Dolphins looking at guys like Justin Reed, Jesse Bates, maybe even Derwin James in that first round. So we'll talk about more about draft visits in a future episode down the line this week. We still have to get to the wide receivers and tight end preview for 2018 on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winkled NFL at Lockdown Fins. And this week is the offensive preview, talking about each position group day by day. And I was going to do wide receivers and tight ends on different days, but I have a big guest coming on tomorrow, Henry Hodgson from NFL Media, at NFL Hank. He is going to come on the podcast and talk all things Dolphins. He told me he has some good inside information for me. He has some other things he can dispel, talking about national media perception, all that stuff. So I'm really excited to talk to him. It should be a very intriguing show. But today we're going to talk about wide receivers and tight ends. We'll do offensive line for Friday, and we'll skip tomorrow because that will be the episode with Hank here on that Locked on Dolphins podcast. So today we're talking about wide receivers and tight ends. I just didn't think tight ends really really required a whole episode to themselves or a whole segment to themselves. I wanted to bunch them in here. The Dolphins really are thin at the position. You guys know this. A.J. Derby, Marquise Gray, and Thomas Duarte. Not a lot of production from those three guys in their NFL careers. Right now, it's looking like Derby is a top guy. Gay's talked about Derby at the press availability a little bit, saying that he likes some of his opportunities to match up in those one-on-one situations. The backside guy, the boundary player against one-on-one coverage with a safety or linebacker, something they tried to do with Julius Thomas a lot last year. Couldn't make that happen, so... Derby figures to have a chance there. I figure the Dolphins are going to draft someone relatively high to come in and supplement that room there. But right now, the tight end group, I have them as the worst tight end group in the NFL. Kind of goes against my positive spin on the quarterbacks. I had Ryan Tannehill at 11th. I had the Dolphins running backs at 12th in the NFL. Tight ends at 32nd. And wide receivers going down the list. It's, it's one of the most unique groups in the NFL because I think you have five guys that could really see significant playing time. And you obviously can't keep five guys in the field for every play. So those guys are going to be rotating in and out. They're going to stay fresh. I think between Albert Will Wilson and Jakeem Grant, you might have a decent little platoon there in terms of getting those guys their reps and getting them their looks and taking deep shots down the field and kind of keeping them fresh and wearing out the cornerbacks running deep route after deep route after deep route on them, like Adam Gase talked about using that speed. But Wilson will be used more as a complementary receiver, or I guess I should say a more versatile receiver, whereas Grant could be one of the guys that's more of a platoon role. You have Devontae Parker, too, coming back, and I, I just don't know where to put him in this offense. He obviously offers something that no one else on the offense does at the wide receiver position, but I'm just not sure if he's one of the top four guys because Danny Amendola is so reliable. Adam Gay sought him out and brought him in. Parker has kind of rubbed this front office and this coaching staff the wrong way because he wasn't their guy. They kind of inherited him, just like Jarvis Landry and Jay Ajayi, and he doesn't do things the right way. And we heard, we've heard we heard a lot about him, but the Dolphins have him on a cheap contract for one more year, so they're going to try to get the most out of him, and I figure he'll get his role and his reps there as well particularly those backside boundary type positions I talked about, the tight end, probably going to be some more effort for him to come out and get some of those slant and in-breaking routes from that position in the one-on-one coverage. So he has a chance to, to have a, a decent year. Kenny Stills, I think, is the best receiver by far of this entire group. He is obviously the big-time deep threat, very savvy veteran guy that can work in and out of soft spots in the zone. He can also play inside and outside. He is a dynamo against off coverage, so he's going to get plenty of looks to make some big plays and hopefully get that touchdown rate and that high yards per catch rate back up that he had from Tampa. Hill back in 2016. So this wide receiver group, I went down the list like I have been doing with the quarterbacks and the running backs and kind of picked out the teams I think have better groups. And we'll see if you guys agree or disagree. So again, not in any particular order going across the divisions. I have the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cincinnati Bengals, Houston Texans, Tennessee Titans, Los Angeles Rams, Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions, Chicago Bears, Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, and the Los Angeles Rams. That puts the Dolphins at 16th the 16th best wide receiver core. So every group in the offense is above league average, except for the tight ends. Obviously that's kind of all fall in the 11 to 16th range. So 
not quite all the way up to top 10, but they're top 16 all the way around. And that's why I think this offense is going to be verging on top 10 this year just because of the familiarity, the ability to execute the scheme the right way. Ball distribution was actually one of the terms Adam Gaze used at the press conference today, talking about getting the ball to the open man, something Ryan Tannehill really, really excels at in distributing the ball to different receivers. So the 16th best receiver group, 32nd best tight end group. We're going to talk about the offensive line on Friday's podcast on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. In structuring this episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, I wasn't quite sure how to do it because it's definitely some different topics, but I wanted to get to the point talking about the third down passing from the last two years for the Miami Dolphins and kind of compare those two and how much better it was in 2016 than it was in 2017. Just off the jump, we'll go ahead and go from here. Ryan Tannehill on third down in 2016, 7.5 yards per pass and a 36.4 conversion rate, 87.6 passer rating compared to Jay Cutler, who was 5.8 yards per attempt, almost two yards worse than Tannehill, 30.9% conversion rate. Six percentage points worse, and his 67.8 passer rating, almost 20 points worse there from compared to Ryan Tannehill. So a big jump in production at third down expected to come this year. One of the things I really looked at was talking about third and short conversions and kind of talking about how the Dolphins will expose the fact that defenses will sneak up into the box and play more one-on-one coverage on the outside and give you an opportunity to go deep. And one of the plays I can reference to this going back to even the 90s with Dan Marino was the game-winning touchdown pass against the New England Patriots in that 1994 season opener in the muddy infield dirt against Drew Bledsoe, that shootout they had there, his first game back off the Achilles injury. But that game-winning touchdown pass to Irving Fryer was on fourth and sixth. And you kind of see where some of these, you know, gunslinger types of quarterbacks want to take deep shots and go after that vacated area of the defense because all the defenses are expecting you to run the ball or throw a short pass and they want to crowd up in there and prevent that from happening. That's all well and good. But if you have an opportunity to take a deep shot, you might have a lower completion percentage, but your point differential might be better doing that. So the Dolphins kind of have that theory and just comparing some of what Tannehill did or the Dolphins in general did on third and third or fourth and short passing down the field. These were Tannehill's numbers in 2016. He had 8.2 yards per attempt. The league average was 6.1. So more than two yards better per attempt on third and fourth and short. The first down conversion percentage was higher than league average. Ryan Tannehill was at 63.6% and league average was at 58%. So a nice little 5% bump there. But the biggest number here that you can point to was Ryan Tannehill's 22.7 touchdown passing percentage rate. And that means that he threw five touchdowns on, I think it was 22 throws. I'll check my math on that later, but 22% of the time he threw a touchdown pass on third or fourth and short. So basically one out of every five attempts there, the league average that year was 8.6%. So almost three times more touchdown percentage. And so the Dolphins like to attack deep on those plays and take advantage of that one-on-one coverage. I think the part where you might have an issue this year is getting like guys like Jakeem Grant onto the field and trying to convince the defense that you're actually going to run the ball because that's where those big plays come from. They think you're going to run the ball. You take a deep shot and go after him that way. So you can do that with Kenny Stills, Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson. You can even do it with Devontae Parker too because he has speed to burn and he has that big frame to go ahead and attack down the field. And the Dolphins actually did it this year too. Jay Cutler didn't throw any touchdown passes. I think that's more of a function of the fact that he's just not a very good player. But the Dolphins called the plays and dialed it up that way too because Cutler on third and fourth and short was 7.9 yards per attempt. Again, a full yard and a half better than the league average. So he was definitely making those attempts to go deep as well. If you look at some of the other guys in the league, two of the guys I compared him to were Tom Brady and Carson Wentz, two of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Carson Wentz is 2016 or 2016. 
2017 season on third downs was as good as it gets. 7.8 yards per attempt. He converted 80% of those into first downs. It had a 138.5 passer rating, but his touchdown rate was 20.8%. So the all-time probably greatest season on third down from Carson Wentz. Not as high of a touchdown percentage as what Ryan Tannehill had in 2016. So that kind of tells you where the Dolphins are trying to go on those plays. And you can kind of see it when they had Damian Williams last year or two years ago flexing out wide in those positions and attacking a linebacker and taking those one-on-one matchups and taking advantage of them and going for big plays and sometimes even touchdowns. So clearly the Dolphins have a plan and a tendency there to go deep on those plays. I think it's a good one too because like I mentioned, that's an area where you're not going to get that many you're not going to get that good of a shot one-on-one down the field with a speedy receiver. So that's a good opportunity for them to take it. They do it. I love that mentality. And let's go ahead and shift gears here and talk about something that the media put out today. I shouldn't say the media. It was ESPN. They put the Dolphins at this 32nd best team in the NFL. If you guys don't know already, that's last in the power rankings. And it just completely blows my mind talking about you know, they mentioned that the Dolphins lost a lot of talent in that column. They're talking about losing talent. They, they mentioned Lawrence Timmons, Julius Thomas, and Jermon Bushrod as if those guys had any modicum of success last year. But they also spun it around saying they let some young talent leave via Jarvis Landry or whatever it was. And didn't mention the fact, or also mentioned the fact that they brought in older veterans to kind of supplement this offense, Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore, Frank Gore. But they didn't talk about the fact that some of these old guys they ushered out, like Ndamukong Sue, 31, Julius Thomas, Lawrence Timmons, Mike Pouncey, Jermon Bushrod, all over 30 years old. So they didn't talk about that. They basically just fit the column to, to fit their narrative and, and perpetuate their terrible take on what the Dolphins are this season. It's going to be much better than that, guys. I promise they're not going to be the worst team in the league. They're going to be close to a playoff team, if not a playoff team, and even more than that. So crazy talk from them, but it just kind of reminded me about where the Dolphins were this time five years ago, back in the 2013 offseason, and how all these moves the Dolphins made had them as the kind of bell of the ball of free agency, dominating the offseason. I think I saw on one article, the 2013 Miami Dolphins. Let's go over the list here of what they did that year. They signed Mike Wallace and Brian Hartline to a combined $91 million worth of contracts and $40 million in guaranteed there. They signed Dustin Keller and Brandon Gibson. Both those guys combined to play seven games that season for the Dolphins. They swapped out Donnell Ellerby and Philip Wheeler for Carlos Dansby and Kevin Burnett, two very good linebackers for two not good linebackers. They traded up to get Deion Jordan from 12 to 3 in that draft and then proceeded to draft Jamar Taylor, Will Davis, and Dallas Thomas with their next three picks. So possibly the worst offseason in NFL history, and that was lauded as a NFL's best offseason that particular year. So it kind of tells you what this stuff means in terms of how much do you put into it. I'd rather take the opinion of someone like, hey, me, for instance, who puts in the time and looks at the numbers and looks at the film and goes into that stuff rather than just throwing names on a piece of paper and trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. So don't pay any attention to that stuff. It's complete hogwash. It means nothing. And a couple of notes I had on that year here too. The Dolphins, with all that investing in the wide receiver position, dropped 48 passes. And then the offensive line that was good in 2012 came back in 2013 and got completely wiped out. The game that they won against the New England Patriots that year actually had a combination of Bryant McKinney, Sam Brenner, Mike Pouncey, John Jerry, and Tyson Clabo starting on the offensive line, and they beat the New England Patriots that day. So 48 drops that year, 58 sacks allowed, and that was the darling Dolphins team of 2013 that was supposed to take over the Patriots in the AFC East and win the first division titles in five years. So 
The whole point of that, bringing it back to my entire point, is just don't listen to that stuff. It means absolutely nothing. Power rankings and ESPN especially. Just ignore that faction of media and trust the guys that are around this team more and put more time and effort into it. It's all I'm trying to say. So just ignore the entire national perspective. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's show here in the podcast, Locked on Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Locked on Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins and follow our flagship show at Locked on NFL on Twitter and Facebook. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. Everybody have a great night. Back tomorrow with Henry Hodgson from NFL Media for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.